0: All over the world we find an array of fascinating animals created with unique features and abilities. But perhaps some of the most popular and amazing creatures are found in the land down under. What's so special about Australian animals?
1: Stay tuned. He's so large that you can bound 13 feet at a time and leap over a fence of 6 feet high. This is Science,
0: Scripture and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Australia is home to some of the most curious animals on the planet. From kangaroos to duck-billed platypuses, these remarkable creatures were designed specifically by our Creator God. Join us for the next 15 minutes as we learn about these fascinating and fun Australian animals. Perhaps the two most popular Australian animals are the kangaroo and the koala. Both of these mammals are marsupials and carry their young in specially designed pouches on their bodies. Dr. Andrew Snelling
1: is a geologist with ICR. He sees these animals firsthand in his home country. Well, Australia of course is well known for its unique animals. Some of our birds are unique as well. But the ones that people know the most about are the kangaroo and the koala. The kangaroo especially is often used as a symbol for Australia. And uh, I love the kangaroo. It's interesting and exciting animal. Very unique. People know about its big hind legs and its long tail. And it uses those for jumping. The big red kangaroo which grows to six foot tall. He's so large that he can bound 13 feet at a time. He can get up into top speed at 45 to 60 mile an hour if necessary and leap over fences six feet high. And they're not as gentle as some people might think. And you don't want to get into a fight with a kangaroo because they stand up on their tail and use their powerful hind legs to rip at one another. His other body parts
0: are quite useful as well.
1: He's amazingly designed so that when he stops, of course, his large tail is there to balance him. His front legs, which are much smaller, he can use those for grabbing things. However, the kangaroo doesn't start out quite this prepared for the world. The little baby is born alive, which is characteristic of mammals, and it feeds on its mother's milk. But the marsupials have a pouch, and it's like a pocket on the mother's tummy. And so the baby is, when it's born, comes out of its mother's birth canal and has to get up into the pouch to feed on its mother's milk. Well, you would think the baby, the joey, would be born with strong hind legs because after all, when it grows up to be an adult, it has strong hind legs and a tail, strong tail. But when it's born, it doesn't have any sign hardly at all of the hind legs or the tail. It has little front legs developed. It's blind. It can't see, but it can smell. So what does it do? It uses its front legs to pull it up its mother's tummy and it smells its way up into the milk that already is evidence of design because when it's born it's designed to do what it needs to do at that point in time
0: but the baby kangaroo doesn't stay feeble for very long
1: a kangaroo can have another baby six months later but of course big brother is in the pouch and he's in the waist what she does she can actually relax the opening of the pouch so the big brother falls out but big brother doesn't give up that easily and keeps trying to jump back in its mother's pouch and you imagine this little creature sort of taking a leap at mum and goes and so if she doesn't want him in, she sure sort of pulls it in tight so he can't get in. Of course they often get in and they turn around and they look out and that's such a cute sight to see this little baby joe with its head out and its mother and the mother hops along. They are really incredible animals and worthy of being a symbol for Australia.
0: Another fantastic capability that God has given the mother kangaroo is the
1: ability to delay reproduction in a time of drought. We don't understand how it happens, but the mother can actually switch off from having another baby. Even if a baby is in a womb forming, she can actually switch off the development of the baby for up to two years. And then when the rain starts, the mechanism opens up again and the baby's born. How in the world can we understand how that could happen without an all-knowing creator God who in his wisdom, knowing the conditions these animals would have to live in, designed them with a plan and a purpose. We scratch our head trying to understand the design and the handiwork in this creature, how it could have been put together. But it's there in front of our faces. That's why I believe uh, the words of Paul in Romans chapter 1 are absolutely correct, that the evidence of God's handiwork is in the world around him and therefore people are without excuse.
0: Another interesting Australian resident is a cute furry critter called a wombat. Ken Ham is president and CEO of Answers in Genesis. He tells us about this ground burrowing creature.
2: The wombat is a marsupial just like the kangaroo in a sense. But with a wombat there's a major difference. Well the pouch in a wombat actually faces backwards. And so the young actually have to jump in at the rear end if you can imagine that. While a wombat tunnels under the ground, imagine what would happen if the pouch faced forwards. It'll fill up with dirt, and you get fossilized wombats real quickly. So it's important that the wombat have its pouch facing backwards.
0: And Ken Ham offers us a stimulating way to consider God's design of the wombat and other creatures.
2: As I say to my children, you know, it looks like it's designed to do what it does do, and what it does do, it does do very well, doesn't it? Don't you think they think it does? I do, too. hope you do. Well, we have a great time uh, talking about Australian animals like the wombat.
0: But wombats aren't the only marsupials with backward-facing pouches.
2: The koala also has a rear-facing pouch. Now, that's an interesting one because koalas climb up trees. Now, if anyone was going to fall out, you'd think the young would fall out of the koala's pouch. Uh, But I suspect another reason why they have a rear-facing pouch is because they do crawl up trees. What would happen if the young had its head out of the pouch? There could be all sorts of problems. But again, God has put in mechanisms in place so that it's obvious that it works very well.
1: Dr. Snelling. The uh, koala is uh, everyone's cute favourite because he's cute and cuddly. And uh, they dine on eucalypt leaves, but most people think that they can only live on eucalypts. In fact, they can survive on other plants. And a lot of people think, well, how could uh, koalas get to Australia from the ark? There had to be eucalypt trees all the way to Australia. Well, my answer to that is quite simple. He prefers eucalypts because what happens when his mother begins trying to wean him off milk, she actually feeds him eucalyptus, and eucalyptus oils are in her milk anyway so he gets attuned to just eucalyptus. Whereas if you feed koalas on other trees they will survive quite happily. So it means that on their way from the ark to Australia they lived on all sorts of vegetation and when they got to Australia they became specialised on eucalypts. Although koalas look harmless they're still wild animals. But again it's uniquely designed for what it does best, it's got the claws for climbing on trees. And, you know, you have to be careful with koalas. If you make them mad, they'll scratch and claw at you, just like cats can scratch and claw at you. Kenham.
2: Because I think every American wants to go to Australia to cuddle a koala and things like that. In the wild, the smelly flea bit environments that rip your eyeballs out, but we don't tell too many people about that. We don't want to ruin the tourist trade.
0: If you wanted to see wild koalas,
1: you'd have a better chance at night. They're nocturnal. Dr. Snelling. They prefer to be out during the night when it's cooler. Uh, they have good eyesight for that. And during the day, of course, they do a lot of sleeping in the shade because it's hot. But they're not always quiet neighbours. In the mating season, the uh, male koalas are trying to draw attention to themselves with the females. And they scratch the base of the trees and they grunt and their sound is a cross between a dog barking and a pig grunting. It's quite a unique sound and it can be very loud but uh, they are such wonderful animals and again because of their uniqueness and the way that they live, the way that they can survive happily in the Australian bush reflects that God knew exactly where they would live and how they needed to live and he designed them according to that plan and purpose.
0: Besides these wonderful marsupials that inhabit Australia, another fascinating group of mammals also reside there. They're called monotremes, and they're so unusual that there are only two of them. Dr. Tom Hoyle, founder of Bible and Science Ministries in Tacoma, Washington, explains.
3: There are two different types of monotremes. There's the echidna and the platypus. And these two mammals actually have virtually nothing in common, except that they are the only mammals on Earth that lay eggs.
0: The echidna is a 12 to 30 inch long spiny anteater type animal.
3: It is a very bizarre collection of fully formed features, that you would associate with three very different creatures, the porcupine, the anteater, and a lizard. Uh, indeed, sometimes he's called the spiny anteater. He does superficially look like a brownish-gray porcupine, except that he has no teeth. He also resembles an anteater in that he has a long tube-like snout with a worm-like tongue that darts out to snag ants and termites for dinner. His female counterpart, though, Seems more like a lizard sometimes, and that she lays an average of one egg per year, an egg that appears to be reptilian in nature. If all that weren't odd enough, though, she also creates a marsupial-like pouch, almost like a kangaroo's, and it nurses her one-half-inch-long little baby.
0: And the echidna knows how to protect itself.
3: He can curl up in a ball when he's attacked by something, or something that's very bizarre that he does, If the ground is soft under him, when he's attacked, if he thinks he has enough time, he has extremely sharp claws, and he will literally sink into the ground. He will dig a hole directly beneath him, and he sinks literally into the ground. So if the only thing exposed, of course, would be his very spiny back.
0: One of the most intriguing animals that we know of today has got to be the duck-billed platypus, Dr.
3: Hoyle. The platypus is uh, terribly unusual. He's the only animal on Earth that has fur, webbed feet, and lays eggs. He's the only one. His tail is very similar to that of a beaver's. His dark brown furry body, it is much like that of a sea otter's. And like a beaver or sea otter's, the duckbill platypus his habitat is semi-aquatic. Unlike them, of course, though, he's also nocturnal. On top of that, though, he walks like a turtle. Indeed, the term platypus means flat-footed.
0: So how would the platypus protect itself against predators?
3: He's actually a very vulnerable creature, but he has a nasty surprise that has caught some Australians off guard. He has a poisonous spur on each of his hind legs. The spur is similar to a rooster's, except that uh, it's full of venom like a snake's. If that's not strange enough, he has webbed feet with retractable claws. And actually, I don't know of any animal on Earth with feet quite like his. He's extremely good at digging, and he's also extremely good at swimming, both.
0: What's the most interesting thing about the platypus?
3: Last, not least, however, we've got that bill. It looks like a duck's bill, except that it's extremely soft and rubbery. And it's full of a sensor array that we still don't fully understand. As he swims underwater looking for larvae, his bill, it sweeps back and forth looking for his prey.
0: And even though evolutionists have tried to use the duck-billed platypus to their advantage, there's still no doubt of its design by the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, Ken Ham.
2: When you look at a platypus, you know, bill like a duck, people like a tail, hair like a bear, a web feet like an claws like a reptile, lays eggs like a turtle, feeds young jungle, milk like a mammal, I suppose, like a rooster, poison like a snake. Uh, you know, if an evolutionist looks at that, they would have to say devolve from everything. What you see all through the animal uh, kingdom, uh, you see where you might find animals that have features consistent with birds or reptiles and, and, and at the same time with mammals or whatever it happens to be. So that doesn't mean that they're transitional forms. We call them mosaics. In other words, it's obvious that there's a common creator who uses uh, certain characteristics in different ways for different kinds of creatures. And uh, we could talk about this in regard to many, many living creatures that we would call uh, mosaics. That seem to be a mixture of this and, uh, and a mixture of that.
0: As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org.